Good evening and welcome back to part two of The Dixie Dollar. If you haven't heard part one yet, then maybe you should do that. If you have heard it, then let's get straight to it. Wendy's wake-up call rang through at 6.30am. The chief was startled into consciousness. The voice from the girl at reception was young and sprightly. Mumbling something back to her, he felt a tingle of shame at his own nakedness. Her voice, blissfully unaware of his current state of undress, stretched out as he was on the white sheets like a lump of meat ready for the butcher's cleaver. What if he had gotten a heart attack in the middle of the night? Gavin and the impressionable staff would eventually need to use a master key to enter the room. What a sight would await their youthful eyes upon entry. Oh Lord, and that would be the abiding memory they'd form of him. The wallpaper judged him as he brought his legs to the floor and made his way to the bathroom for a quick shower. Despite his alarm, today was another day, and he felt a little better for having fallen into such a deep sleep. A mug of tea and a bit of scrambled egg inside of him now would do just the trick. It was approaching 9am when he turned the key in the bus's ignition and fired up the engine. The group were bushy-tailed about the journey ahead through Wicklow and began asking questions about what to expect. Would the bus be stopping in Avoca? Was there a gift shop in Glendalough? Who was St. Kevin? The chief felt the first trickle of sweat burst forth from beneath his shirt. Where was Gavin? This was his department. Standing up from his seat, he scanned the faces sitting neatly in their rows, making sure the American spinsters were present and accounted for. They were. It was almost ten minutes past the hour when Gavin emerged from the hotel entrance, shining like a new pin. Who's ready to journey into the heart of Ireland's magical east? He sang into the microphone, unapologetic for his timekeeping. The flock chimed their enthusiasm, enthralled by the return of their Irish oracle, and equally nonplussed about his tardiness. Switching off the microphone, Gavin turned to his driver and gave him the thumbs up to be moving from the car park. You'd best roll down the window, chief, he grinned. I had a few points of the black stuff last night, and my stomach is swirling. The roads through Wicklow were always scenic, but tricky to steer around, and the chief both loved and loaded them, depending on his mood. Today, he was firmly on the fence. For all Gavin's bluster and gas, he at least kept the group entertained, and this left the chief with the singular task of keeping the vehicle between the ditches. Skirting the Wicklow Mountains before ascending them, the nippy green bus navigated humps and corkscrews 
swerving about potholes and the low-hanging branches of a vodka. The busy group used gift shops and public toilets liberally and stopped for walks and photos in Glendalough and the Sally Gap. Such wonderful views, remarked a heavy-set English woman as she held her phone above her head to capture it all on video. And do tell me, young Gavin, what delights await us in Bray this evening? Have you ever heard tell of the famous promenade? Gavin returned, half listening. I can't say I have, replied the woman. Do you think I'll like that? Can't see why not. It was the likes of your people that built it. The descent from the mountain was quick, and the chief was relieved to catch sight of the sea's blue line as they approached the coastal town of Bray. They'd stop here overnight before heading north to Dublin in the morning. The red-bricked Victorian hotel was well-positioned on the seafront, they were informed, and provided yet another photo opportunity in its own right. The eagle has landed, ladies and gentlemen, Gavin announced with some grandeur to his wide-eyed group. Here we are in the picturesque hamlet of Bray, the gateway to Ireland's Garden County, or the trapdoor to Dublin, depending on what way you wish to look at it. The passengers disembarked wearily onto the tarmac, stiff from being jolted around mountains and sharp turns since breakfast. One by one, they soaked in the calm expanse of the seafront, while at the far end of the promenade, a failing sun slipped behind the rocky hills of Bray Head. All about the evening air, the fair skies of day had given way to a regal purple, which shimmered against the surface of the sea. Gavin began to shepherd the stragglers towards the hotel for check-in, as the chief helped unload luggage from beneath the bus, wincing at a darting pain in the base of his spine as he did so. Just an old war injury, he assured the English lady, who seemed genuinely concerned for his welfare. Once the formalities in the hotel had been completed, Gavin encouraged them to explore the bars and restaurants along the seafront for the evening. There was live entertainment throughout the summer, and they were sure to find a venue to their taste. The chief watched the group disperse in different directions with some relief as he rubbed the nerve on the rump of his back. It all was played up on him on this leg of the trip, and he supposed the Wicklow Mountains were both a cure and a curse for his ageing body and mind. Best get a hot shower into you, chief. Gavin's voice came whistling behind his ear. You'll need to get loosened up for those yanks again tonight. I'm not sure that's a good idea, Gavin. The old lumber region is awful dicky this evening. Don't mind that shit now. I've been laying the groundwork with that patty one since yesterday. This will be a classy setting to push things along a little further. That's not strictly professional, warned the chief. And you could be doing so at the cost of your position, I must tell you. Er, what's life but a risk in and of itself? You could have rolled the bus over a cliff today, and it's little mind you'd be paying to have fumbled through the sheets of braid in. Fair point, Gavin. All the same, not for me. 
suit yourself, but I need a wingman in any event. But that patty lady must be mid-forties. She's liable to be twice your age. Well, that doesn't bother me now, Chief. She's stone mad for a bit of Irish cream, and I'll not be the man to delay her. Despite his misgivings, the Chief well remembered his own rounds as a fresh buck in the back streets of Cork. Many a morning he had awoken in a strange bed and got stranger itches in the weeks that followed. Gavin would need to make his errors and marked cruelty of life's lessons in his own copybook. In any case, he was unlikely to take advice from a broken-down former Garda. Maybe the best favour he could bestow on the young fellow would be to keep an eye on him. All right, but I'm only staying out for two or three drinks. We'll be on the road early again in the morning. You're a gentleman, Chief. Meet me in the Martello in an hour. I'll see if I can get us a table outside. An hour. The chief grumbled the words over in his head while making his way up the rickety staircase for a quick shower. He needed to wash Wicklow's countryside from his skin before facing the Americans. Patty. He repeated the name scornfully to himself. It reeked of plasticity. Artificial. Patty. He wished to pull back the veneer of the name as though it were merely the covering of a real person. Patty. He repeated the name again, and he scrubbed mournfully under the water spray. The heat rash between his upper thigh and genitals stung as he applied shower gel softly along its surface. His back still stabbed with pain when he twisted to reach behind his shoulder blades. Another long day was now recorded for posterity, and in evening he didn't much relish, beckoned him from the comforts of his room. Patty. Ambling back down the staircase, the chief decided to walk by the seafront in faint hope its salty breeze might blow the cobwebs from his mind. The atmosphere was still surprisingly warm, and the sky had faded to a dark indigo. Between the shore and the horizon, a group of rowers pulled their wooden vessel across the pitch blue of the water's rippling surface, distant and synchronised, silent upon the waves. Bray's promenade had mostly emptied of people, but for the odd scattering of couples and singletons sitting upon benches, eyes quiet and seaward. A faint hum of music slipped between the flow of waves along pebbles, and the air hung heavy in the growing darkness. Looking eastward along the vastness of the sea, the chief inhaled its serenity and salt, his mind lulled and still. With the heat of the day now past, and the troubles of night lying before him, it seemed for all the world a calm circle in the eye of his storm. Further up the path, the noise of his destination bustled into existence as a ball of light and energy through twilight. The entrance to the Martello Hotel was a busy swirl of bodies and tables. Crossing the street, the chief noted it was framed by a large domed canopy, sheltering those beneath 
from every eventuality of an Irish summer. As he walked through the dome, he scanned the tables of assorted revellers for a glimpse of Gavin's trademark grin. He wasn't to be disappointed. Propped on a bench beneath a blank TV screen, Gavin twirled a cocktail umbrella and regaled his American friends with tales of Irish yore. It was Molly who noticed the chief's approach. Afternoon, sweetheart, she spoke warmly. The chief brought himself stiffly down on the rigid boards of the bench. Sorry I'm running a head late. Decided to take in a bit of sea air to clear the mind a little. Don't you be worrying that old head of yours one bit, boss, replied Gavin. Now, what will you be having? I've got a tab there going behind the bar. You've a tab on the go? The chief asked with some surprise, since it would not be Gavin's usual form. Ah, yeah. Sure it's a Wednesday night by the waterfront, isn't it? Gavin smiled. There's some bum boy walking around there taking orders. The chief ordered a pint bottle of cider from the waiter, contented that Gavin was footing the bill for services rendered. At least he understood who was doing who the favour. In fact, if he didn't need to put his hand in his pocket tonight, the chief figured this may work out quite pleasantly after all. You look much fresher tonight, chief, noted Patty as their eyes ran up and down his plump torso. Thank you, Patty. And may I say you appear very elegant yourself this evening. She did look glamorous, the chief noted. It was in his job description to fill the hearts of his clients with compliments, but this observation was genuine. Both sisters looked markedly more dolled up than they had in Wexford, and he pondered the reasoning for this. Patty wore a yellow floral dress with flat white shoes, while her sister wore a tight-fitting skirt and matching low-cut top. Did you enjoy our little journey through the Wicklow Mountains? asked the chief. Oh yes, it was wonderful, replied Molly, her hair hanging in blonde ringlets around glowing cheeks. It reminded me a lot of Colorado. Our daddy used to take us up there when we were girls. I've never crossed the Atlantic, sighed the chief, taking a deep draught of his drink, oddly uncomfortable about his lack of wanderlust. Oh, you definitely need to make the trip, Patty reassured him. I think it'd fit in fine and dandy, added Molly. We'd be sure to put you up if you ever stop by in Alabama. She threw a knowing look toward her sister. The chief felt his cheeks warming from an abundance of female propositions and cider. With the first drink put away, he quickly signalled to the waiter to bring another round. The chill of ice and fizz was refreshing, and a wave of calm washed over him for the first time since they began their journey. Gavin was clearly half drunk in his seat. The chief knew the young man's habits, and drinking whiskey in his room before going out was an unwise one. He refused advice on this matter, of course. What had begun as flirting towards Patty was descending to leering, and an intervention to shake him up was imminent. The young man preempted this. Let's go next door, he announced, bringing his palm down on the table. There's a good DJ playing in half an hour. I checked him out on YouTube before we left. 
That sounds like a fine idea, agreed Patty. I've always had a sparkle for that European dance music. It ain't all whistling Dixie where we're from, you know. Well then, it's settled, Gavin declared, his head darting in each direction to find a waiter so he could settle the bill. Oh, I ain't so sure, Molly began to pipe up uncertainly from her corner. Whatever's the matter? asked her sister. I just ain't in no mood for loud music and all that pushing and shoving. Era, it'll be grand, Gavin slurred, his eyes beginning to roll in his head. Patty cast a long look at her older sister, and the chief noted the edge of irritation which framed it. He supposed similar instances had emerged throughout their travels. Molly, nonplussed, continued to sip her drink through a small straw. On instinct, and somewhat wearily, the chief stepped up to his role as Gavin's wingman. Somehow, supervision of the older sister was not how he foresaw his night developing when he was buttoning up his nautically themed shirt. A fine tangle he got himself into now. Still, she was at least pretty and good company. He would just need to maintain his professionalism. Myself and Molly can hang around here a bit while you two pop in next door. You sure about that, Chief? asked Patty, brow furrowed in hope. I don't want you to feel obliged, Molly intervened. Ah, I'm no big fan of that jungle music anyway. I could do a rest in the old bones here for a bit, if that's all right with you. Molly smiled deeply into her bulbous cheeks. Sure is. Right then, Gavin stood up. We'll be back in an hour or so. Keep your phone on you, Molly reminded her sister. Will do, she replied, and thanks again, Chief. Gavin winked his approval to his old friend and made his way outside with his newest one. The Chief exhaled as he noted the young man's hand resting lightly on her hip. He hoped he wouldn't make a show of himself. In a strange way, the reputation of Ireland itself depended upon it. I do hope I'm not holding you back tonight, Molly asked through pleading eyes. The chief felt pity flash across his heart and moved quickly to reassure her. Why, my dear, not at all. Take a look at me. I'm over 60 years old. You hardly think I want to spend my evening getting bumped around the dark room. I did think you would feel all that pushing and shoving would be unpleasant. That's why I didn't protest when you suggested staying. Think nothing of it, the chief added. I'd be likely to go into cardiac arrest in an establishment like that. No, no. We'll let the young folk have their fun. I'm sure we can enjoy a pleasant evening here ourselves. Molly smiled, childlike, and sit contentedly on her straw. As she did so, the chief thought her a fascinating creature. Innocent, yet tantalising. Rather than being drawn to her chest, as he had been in Wexford, he found her brown eyes magnetic, warm and decent. To her side, a young man with a flowing dark fringe stood on a makeshift stage and began to fiddle with the speaker system. Seems we're in for some music, whether we like it or not, Molly observed. Ah, this might be more our speed anyway, the chief conceded. There's only so much damage that young chap can do with an acoustic guitar. 
while he giggled and ordered another round. And the evening, long and bright though it was, began to slip steadily between ballads and drinks. The chief, keen to uphold the honour of his country, decided to give his American companion an exhibition in drinking, two pints of stout and accompanying whiskey chasers before an hour had passed. A short time later, the young musician informed his docile patrons he would be taking a 20-minute break. This was a welcome respite for the ears of the chief, who had found the last few modern numbers grating. Do you not like Ed Sheeran, chief? asked Molly. No, he replied bluntly. Silly to do that. He was still on duty, in a sense. Must remain professional and affable. Points and chasers were no excuse. It's not that I have anything against a man personally, he added. In fact, he seems quite a decent cut of a fellow. It's just that his particular vibe wouldn't be my cup of tea. Ha, and what would be your cup of tea, as you put it, she blurted out, clearly drunker and bolder. The chief folded his arms across his belly and puffed. Asher, I suppose a bit of old country and Irish would be more my game. I was a good dancer in the halls back around Tralee in my day. Molly's eyes widened with wonder, and she placed a hand upon her large breast. Why, chief, I declare that we are indeed inseparable soulmates. We both enjoy fine whiskey, do our fair share of travelling round this earth. Then you drop this country dancing ditty on my lap. The chief recoiled, shocked at his companion's sudden indiscretion. The pace of his drinking may have been a schoolboy error, and he began to scratch at his jowl awkwardly. With surprising clarity, Molly read his thoughts. I ain't that far gone, don't you worry yourself, chief. I tend to come over with little bursts of energy between sleepiness at this hour of an evening. We could call it a night, the chief suggested neatly. That we could, but there's something I've been meaning to ask you. Oh, ask me, you say? Molly brought her elbow on the table and interlocked her fingers. Yes, seriously, if that's all right by you. The chief, intrigued by this turn from exuberance to sobriety, nodded his head in acquiescence. Well, it's just, Molly began, looking at the tips of her fingers. I've been talking to my sister about an idea that's been brewing in my mind these past few days. It so happens that we have something of a vacancy out on the ranch at the minute. And I just think I may have regrets if I don't at least run it by you. The chief leaned back on his bench. Vacancy. He opened his mouth, but was silenced by Molly's outstretched palm. Now, please, don't do me no disservice by thinking me a silly woman. What we're looking for is someone to drive our produce upstate, where most of our market is. We have some big old trucks, but nothing you couldn't handle. The highways of Alabama ain't no Wicklow Mountains, that's for sure. The information in Molly's words congealed in pictures across the chief's mind. Wide roads, silver-wheeled trucks, desert. I know it's a bit to take on board, and there's plenty of details you'd want filling in. But tell me you're alive to the concept. The chief gazed in some astonishment 
at his American suitor. There certainly was much to be filled in. What I don't understand is why you would ask me. I'm sure there's no shortage of able men to fill such a role back home. Why, of course there is, Molly returned, turning her face toward the distant sea beyond the promenade. The truth is, I'd like some company too. The chief felt his back straighten above the wooden planks of his seat. Oh. Molly brought her eyes from the sea and cast them into his. I've watched how you carry yourself and listened intently to your words these past few days. I know you are an honourable man in your profession with the police. You have a warm dignity about you, and it's just about endeared itself upon me. I'm flattered, of course, he returned, cheeks flushing. But surely you don't know me well enough to suggest I actually live with you. Oh, I don't mean just fall into my bed in America. Molly's own cheeks glowed, and she placed a hand to her mouth. Please don't think me so cruel. What I'd like for you is to come and live in my place for a while and work the vacancy that needs filling on the ranch. You would have your own room and privacy, of course. As for us, we could enjoy our time in the evenings and get to know each other better, as companions for a time. The chief looked from the table to Molly's eyes, imploring and kind. The attraction he felt for her since their first night suppressed by his professionalism, began to leak from its dam. We need only try it for maybe a month or two, she continued. At that stage, we could sit down and have a chat about how we're getting along. If either of us wants to call it quits, well, that's life, ain't it? Two months, the chief repeated the words back into himself. Two months, and then he could return, if he wished, if she wished. The residue of Molly's words danced in the space between their faces. So much to consider. That blooming in her rosy cheeks had begun to illuminate a new future. A promised experience. Alabama. But what of his house and his father? Home help could be hired for two months to take care of those little ailments. But what if his stay on the ranch was to be extended? What if he never returned? Let's pay up here and take a walk, the chief proposed. As before, he hoped the sea air might blow the dust from his mind. Music from the bar next door pumped into a starless night, and so they walked along the promenade until the base faded to a pulse. As they passed beneath the yellow glow of each lamppost, the boisterous calls of revellers slowly gave way to the serenity of water lapping over a stony beach. With the world at peace again, the lights of Kalini twinkled on the distant, dark mass of its hills, and the moon's face hid behind a smothering cloud. It's a surprisingly fresh night, noted the chief, as the moisture from the sea tickled his lungs. Molly smiled her response and stopped in the relative darkness between two lampposts. How far is it to Britain? she asked, placing her hands upon the railing. The chief gazed into the infinite horizons of black sea and sky, shaking his head. 
maybe a hundred miles. I really don't know. A hundred miles through that dark water feels a lot, Molly mused, her eyes squinting as though she may catch a glimpse of a Welsh port. It may as well be a thousand, the chief mumbled. He sighed internally at his own words. He disliked his resentment of his country and what it said about him. After all, the island had been kind in many ways over his varied lifetime. It had given him opportunities, provided sanctuary, and through rustic beauty alone had suited many a broken heart. If he were to look down upon its familiar shape from space, he knew he'd cry. Yet its boundaries stunted him, its modest dimensions, a rock tacked to the edge of Europe. And in his former profession, there was no chance to expand beyond the limited scope of the state. Limited. The island and himself were well matched. Have you given any more thought to my proposal? Molly asked, keeping her eyes seaward. The chief followed the moon's reflection along water ripples and breaking white crests. Across the span of time and low tides, he saw his father abandoned to a solemn fate, marooned and alone. The hands placed upon his failing body were not those of his kin. You don't need to decide right away, of course, Molly continued. We have a few days left for you to think it over. His father's face smiled in the way it always did after he had finished giving out about something trivial. It was a smile to let him know that he wasn't really angry, that complaining had just become a way of life, a smile that stretched from childhood to the sea. I won't be able to travel with you, Molly, the chief whispered, fearful his voice would waver. The woman brought her gaze from the horizon and brushed loose strands of hair from her face. I am sorry you feel that way. Lost in her words, he nodded his understanding. Oh, it was a silly idea, really, huh? She continued. Would you look at the pair of us? Inhaling a draught of salty air, Molly turned toward the stony beach and placed her hands back upon the railing. Between moments and waves, she slid her fingers over his, and he allowed them interlock on the cool metal. A moment. They stood a while and felt the skin on each other's fingers, watching the water stretch out from their safe shores to unseen features beyond the horizon, forever unknown. Somewhere in Dublin port, a cargo ship bellowed and lowered its anchor for the final time into dark, unmoving waters.